Welcome to week eight of the 10th Region Weekly. Alongside me is Evan Dennison of the Ledger Independent. I'm Coach Patrick Kelch. And tonight we have Pendleton County Head Coach Sam Ellsburn on with us tonight. And Coach, uh, a lot of district play starting to shape up. You know, I know a lot of teams now are starting to get into where they actually have played every team in their district. You haven't done that yet, but uh, you got a big district win this week, uh, <laughs> defeating Nicholas County, making you one-on-one. Um, that had to feel good because, um, you know, as well as I do, you know, when you see the district that these games mean something and, um, and the, one of your more meaningful games, you come out on top. Yeah. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you know, the other 24, whenever you schedule a year, they really don't matter a whole heck of a lot. Um, obviously you play to win every night, you know, you, but you gotta keep getting your team better and. You know, we we played well Friday night. Uh, we, you know, obviously we're starting to shoot the ball a little bit better, and these young guards are starting to figure it out. But uh, we're we're playing a lot better defensively too, so that helps. Yeah, I mean, you looked at the last week of what you guys have done. I mean, Bath County, it's a one possession game in the fourth quarter. Mason County, I think you're down nine there, late third, early fourth. And then, you know, Nicholas, you're up, I think, 15 there in the third at one point. So, seems like over the last three games, you guys are kind of maybe turning that corner compared to earlier in the season where, where games maybe not were as competitive as you would have liked. So, what's maybe been uh, anything in general you've seen just over the last week that you think maybe your guys are, are starting to get it or anything? Just maturity in general. I mean, we have a, we have a lot of kids that are – you know, for, you know, they're playing their first varsity basketball season. And uh, just just the maturity in general. And we knew as a coaching staff, I think we knew we were going to take some lumps. Um, I don't think we thought it would be this bad. I'll be, I'll be the first to admit that. Um, you know, um, we've, we, we had, you know, we, and then the close ones we did have earlier in the year, it's like we couldn't get over the top and win any of them. So, I mean – this in the past, you know, 10, 12 days, I think, I think the game against Bath County showed us that, Hey, we can, you know, compete and, you know, be a factor. And then we went over to Mason and, you know, we handled their pressure pretty well. Um, You know, we, you know, we didn't turn, we didn't have a bunch of turnovers, you know, and the ones we did have, they weren't, they weren't leading the dunks and everything. So, you know, I just, you know, we just – we kept building up towards, you know, Friday night and played well. And, you know, we actually – we played well over at Robertson last Friday night for a half. And then, you know, things just kind of went off the hinges a little bit. But, you know, th- this group is going to continue to grow and get better. I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, the better days are ahead of us um, this year and going forward. But, you know, you know, you still have seniors on your roster where this means something to them and they don't get to come back. So, you know, we're doing a good job of, you know, putting guys in positions to be successful. They're making plays. And like I said, just our younger kids are just kind of starting to figure it out a little bit. 399 threes you guys have shot in 19 games. It's an average of, you know, 21 a game. I don't know where that ranks in terms of average across the state, but does seem maybe probably above average um, compared to some others. So how, how much do you think that that shot alone is just evolving the game so much these days? And now we're starting to really see it at the high school level too. I think it started, you know, with Steph Curry and those guys at the NBA level. It's really trickling down to college. And now I think it's, you know, a huge part of, of the high school game is, you know, that, that three-point shot. No, I mean, it's, it's made teams have to guard further away from the basket. Um, you know, that's something, you know, I mean, I think most people know that I'm a, I'm, I'm you know, worried about defense first, second, and third. And we'll try and, you know, offensively, we're going to try and figure some things out as the year goes on. But it's, it, it makes guarding teams hard. And that's when they put, you know, it's turned basketball. I mean, you've talked about this in the past, even when I was a girls coach over bracket. It's made basketball almost positionless. You know, 
as long as you, I mean, you still need a point guard, so to speak. But more, you just you need you need athletic kids. You know, even your big guys need to be athletic. They need they don't necessarily have to have to shoot the three, but they got to be able to step out and guard that arc. They, they can't just guard, you know, 10, 12 feet and in. They got when they got to guard 19, 20, 21 feet. You know, that, that extra that extra 10, 12 feet defensively, you got to protect. It changes everything. I mean, I, I've never coached basketball without the three point line, obviously. But, you know, a lot of the old guys that I talk to and, you know, or have talked to and still talk to, they all say the same thing. The minute they drew that arc out there, that, that changed everything in this game. Well, and to be honest with you, I've heard people refer to that three point shot as kind of like the great equalizer. And I've witnessed that in games to where, you know, no matter what the deficit is, I mean, 15, you know, 20-point deficit, that can be a race quickly if you hit some shots. So I definitely agree with everything you just said here. I think it's made the game to where, um, you know, you've always got a chance to win. Evan, did you – I'm sorry. Maybe I should look at this stuff a little bit more often. Did you say we shot 399 threes already this year? Yeah, 19 games. That might be a record for any team I've coached over the course of a season. Or I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but I mean, that's we like to. We're trying to spread people out and get to the rim. And, you know, kind of. You know, Mason Monroe was really. We sat down and talked about that um, last uh, spring when our season ended, and we kind of just looked at the way Alabama talked about how you know inside five feet or. Beyond 19, not that we still don't, you know, shoot some pull-up jumpers and stuff, but, I mean, the, 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 what's when we shoot it well when, when it comes – it still kind of comes inside out. It might not necessarily be a post player, but it's getting into the lane, getting rid of it. You know, and we've kind of just made it simple. We're just trying to spread the floor and, you know, draw two and throw it to someone that's open. And we're doing a great job of making the extra pass. I would love to – I guess I need to go look at it too. I would love to know how many, like how many hockey assists we have in the past, you know, you know, three, four games where we've made that one extra pass to the guy that's wide open. And when you're sharing the ball and knocking down shots, you know, you're going to have a little bit more pep in your step in every, every facet of the game. So – Go back to uh, Friday night. I know it was a special night for the community and everything. For those that aren't aware, um, you guys recognize the 1971 10th region champs. Um, just talk about that night and how much fun it was to see, uh, you know, those guys that, you know, it's that's 50 years, you know, 51 years. Obviously, you probably didn't get a chance to do it last year, but, you know, being able to do that for these guys and, and how just electric and exciting that, that atmosphere was Friday evening. Well, it was. I mean, it was it was three years in the making. You know, I started working on it when I when I first got the job, thinking for the next year, trying to figure out what we we're going to do. And then, you know, I always refer to last year as Armageddon. It was just, you know, everything was just kind of different. I mean, you didn't know what to expect. So obviously, that wasn't going to happen last year in, in this environment. Um, this year, we you know, we originally had it scheduled for. January 7th, and it got snowed out. And it was just like, man, when are we going to get this done? So we kind of we, – we paired it up with our – they call it alumni not – the coming home games or whatever is what they kind of worded here. It also is called alumni night. So the crowd was going to be good regardless. It was a belligerent doubleheader. But there was a lot of extra people there and a lot of, you know, a lot of these older guys. And, you know, we did it with the players and the cheerleaders, and we had – we had seven of them total there. Um, gave them all plaques. You know, they uh, they really enjoyed themselves. And some of them, you know, I hadn't met before, but you know, I had, had a couple of them telling me on the way out the door, "I'll be back." So, you know, it was. I always say that Friday night in Fowler's is a lot of fun. You know, for basketball, it's you know, even though we've had somewhat of a down year so so far, and I think people realize we're getting better, but I I think they still show up. They still support it. And the students were, you know, they were over there at midcourt and that was the biggest student section we've had since, since my first year here. And it was, it was, it was loud. It was a, 
it was a distinct home court advantage Friday night. Jimmy Gregg was part of that team. Uh, I know a lot of people in and around the 10th region know a lot about Jimmy and, you know, what he still means to school and what he does for you guys. So I, I can't let you get off this recording here without giving us a, a good Jimmy Gregg story. Uh, you know, I, you've had him now. This is your third season. So he still drives the bus for the team. So let, let's let's hear let's hear a good one. Um, I'm going to make fun of me, too, when I say this. Um, my first year, we were at Simon Kenton for, like, a Christmas tournament thing. And we um, <laughs> were playing – we played on Friday night, and then we played Saturday morning. And um, so Saturday, we, we just didn't play well. Uh, for Well, we got off to a bad start, and I called timeout. And <clears throat> I know I'm loud. There's about 100 people in the gym. It's Christmas time, the whole nine yards. We're playing Simon Kenton. And <laughs> and he's sitting there with some of his buddies that he has in Northern Kentucky that I, I think one of them actually went here but moved north. And just some guys, you know, you know, Jimmy knows everybody everywhere. So there are about four or five people sitting up there, you know, a few rows behind the bench watching the game. And and I'm really getting on the kids, man. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm loud. And, uh, the, after the game, we got on the bus, and he goes, "Got." He just said, "Sam, they were laughing at you." So that I said, "That's all right." He said, "They so they, they really weren't laughing at you." They were just kind of like, "Man, Jimmy, this guy's this guy's intense." He goes, "You think he's intense? When he says drive faster, I do it." <laughs> <laughs> that guy's a character, man. I mean, he's he is. He loves this basketball too. I, I see him at games that you know sometimes don't even involve Pendleton County. He'll drive like an hour to go watch it. So he's, he's just a he lives and breathes it. He's um, a he's he's just such a treasure, man. He's he he really truly is. He's you know he's very dry witted. You know I love the guy. I mean I you know he, and he's old school man. You're, you know he's not sitting around on his phone all the time. He's Still wants to walk up and talk to people, and you know he's—they don't make them any better. That guy. I got a couple more, real quick. Um, Take your time, guys. I got nothing going on. <laughs> you know, uh, Dante. I, I remember seeing something over the summer. He helped, or, or maybe it might have been in the fall, where he was helping out, hand out Big Blue Madness tickets. He came into town and handed a couple hundred or whatever. Just. Maybe tell me, I mean, maybe it's probably tougher to communicate with them during the season, obviously, when, when they're playing and you're playing. But just just tell me kind of what he still, you know, helps provide or bring to the program, um, despite, you know, him being a couple years removed now and at, at, at UK. Um, I mean, he's still – I think he's – I don't know if he's been to a game yet this year. He still gets up here when he can. Um, he comes in the gym and – you know, or Dante, you know, everybody wants to go talk to him. Um, we, I mean, we don't text a whole lot or anything. I mean, we've had a few, you know, conversations back and forth. Um, he, uh, he asked me a while back if he could, if I could, like, I guess adding currently to our huddle because we got all our films from, you know, when he was playing for Coach Belcher here, still on them, obviously. He said he's wanted to go back and watch some old stuff and, I said that was pretty neat. And then he asked me about, he's like, he's like, he's, and he, he actually asked me a question. He said, what motivates you each day doing your job? Which, you know, you don't hear too many 20, 20 year olds, 20, 21 year old kids ask that question. And I just said, you know, it's just passion. You know, that's what I love doing. I, I, I'm doing what I always want to do. And he's like, yeah, that's good. You know, and, and, uh, and we, we've talked, I mean, he's, I'm by no means am I do I pretend like I'm you know, really, really close with Dante. I, I'm, you know, I always say, you know, I didn't coach him. I always say, you know, if, if you, if you ever need it, if there's ever anything we can help you with, let me know. Um, obviously we have a policy here at school where I think it's five years before they retire somebody's number, but you know, I'm not ordering that one again when I order uniforms, I can promise you that. Um, he's, I mean, he's just a, He's a good dude. Um, when, you know, the kids in the community, they, you know, they, they look up to Dante and um, he's done a great job of just being a good person. And, 
you know, trying to do things the right way. And obviously, you know, he's at one of the premier programs in the country. Holmes High School, obviously a big uh, talking point over the last few weeks in the 10th region. Um, you know, you happen to be a, a Holmes Bulldog graduate. You were there uh, on the on the staff when they won a state title in 2009. Um, so I know that means a lot to you, and that school means a lot to you. And just tell me what your thoughts are with the uh, 10th region tournament moving there, and um, you know what what you think they would be as a host, and you know how uh, how hospital things will be up there. All right, I'm gonna preface this with this: I had nothing to do with that. All right, I, I'm gonna start by saying that um, I got wind of it a while back and went, okay, we're going to see how this goes over. Um, long story short, um, I love Holmes High School. I loved being a student there. I loved coaching there. You know, most of my best friends in this world are Holmes graduates from, you know, 2000 to about 2004 or five. Um, it's, it's such a special place. Um, and that it, the town itself is too. It's it's diverse. Um, you have people of all different backgrounds there. <coughs> as far as you know, the tournament being there, Holmes High School is hosting a million regional tournaments. Now they weren't, you know, tenth region tournaments, obviously, but um, they'll do a great job with it. It's a good facility. I mean, it's it's it's. It's nice. It's got nice locker rooms. It's, you know, I mean, teams aren't going to go up there and get treated badly. Um, I think if people just have a little bit of an open mind towards it, um, they might find that they actually enjoy themselves a little bit. I am a firm believer in, I love the 10th region tournament. Um, I liked it at the field house. I've always liked it at the field house. I had a great time with it at Clark. Um, that was – they were first class in everything they did. And Mason County has always been as well. Um, I even remember being assistant when I was at Montgomery. And, um, you know, those are all great facilities. And I get that people want to have the tournament in a 10th region gym. And I, I don't fault that. Um, the other thing about it is Northern Kentucky, you know, I've – from my time at Scott, I've been on them bus rides and they're long and they're cold. And I, you know, I remember in 2015, just from Mason County, we played the late game against Harrison in the semifinals. And I don't think we pulled out of Mason County until it was well after 10 o'clock. I mean, I can remember getting home at midnight, you know, and you're start looking at film for who you're going to play in the regional final. And these kids got to get up and go to school the next day. And I know that that's going to affect other teams in the region, but I, I do kind of understand where, where Northern Kentucky is. The Northern Kentucky district of 37th is just saying, Hey, it's our turn to host. We do this all the time. You know, you can do it as well. And I know a lot of people have a lot of opinions on it, but as far as the tournament being there itself, it'll be well ran that administration the administration at home, they still, they still run the ninth region tournament you know, most of the time up in Northern. Um, it's, you know, it's the same exit when you go to Scott. It's literally the same. You, you just go down the hill instead of going up it. Um, it's, you know, so I understand people have a lot of feelings towards it and, you know, I'm not here to try and change anybody's mind. I, I do think that it'll be well ran, and I think it'll be, it'll it's a it, it is a fun atmosphere. It's a nice place to watch a basketball game, and there's a lot of history in in that field house as well. You know, Evans Field House is is what it's called, and it there's a lot of history, and there's you know I've probably seen as many games as most people in there, and um. But as far as the fact that, you know, it's going, you know, it's going to go to Covington and, you know, I know I'd love to be in it. I would love for my, I would love to be the head coach of a regional tournament game at, at, at Holmes High School. I would love to take my kids there. And uh, 
it's in a nice neighborhood in the city. You know, I grew up two blocks from there. You know, I mean, if, if need be, you all can park at my dad's house with me. He still lives there. You know what I mean? I told, I told Travis when he asked me about it on the radio last week, heck, I might still have keys to the place. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, it'll, it'll be, and at the end of the day, it's, it's, I, I think you might get more people from Northern Kentucky that are willing to come check it out as well, just because it's something new for them, you know, especially with the fact that GRC's in it. I mean, GRC's really good, guys. And there's a lot of really good teams this weekend. They're, they're top two or three in the state. And people are going to want to see them. And along with other and, – and, and I still think schools are going to bring their fan bases. You know, if if we're lucky enough to get there, we're going to bring fans. Mason County is going to bring their people. Um, Bracken or Augusta, they will bring fans. Obviously, we know George Rogers Clark will. You know, Harrison or Robertson or Nicholas, they're going to bring their people there. So, and then the other schools are in Northern Kentucky. So, you know, I, I know I've gotten long-winded on this, but it's a spaced-out region. It's that district's turn to host. Um, I think it's best if we just kind of realize it's going to happen and make the best of it because, you know, for better or for worse, that's where it's going to be. But I think if people go in there with an open mind about it, they might find it. It's, it's a pretty nice place to have a basketball tournament. One last thing, uh, Sam, before we let you go, uh, you know, me and Evans talked a lot the last few weeks about the 2A, the 2A tournament. And um, we uh, have noticed that we only had three teams in our region that uh, opted into the 2A. Um, tell us about that. I, I know you played in it, I think, the first year, or Pendleton County has played in it before. Um, what goes into – you know, why you didn't play in that? And, you know, do you think the 2A has some ability to catch steam to where it's a, you know, a big tournament in the state of Kentucky? Because, you know, a lot of people we've talked to talked about how they thought the 2A was picking up steam, but um, only 30-some teams across the state participating. I think the numbers say otherwise. So just tell us maybe why Pendleton County didn't participate this year and do you see yourself participating in the future? Um. I, the first year we played in it, we played Rowan County at Bourbon. And there wasn't much of a crowd there that night. And then last year, I think it got canceled, right? Yeah, it got canceled. We, we, we were in it, and um, Highlands was going to play in it. And we drew Highlands the first game. And so that was kind of odd. And then this year – I don't really remember exactly why we didn't play it. I just know that our school didn't. Um, I'm not opposed to doing it. Um, I I guess it's picking up steam. I, I know Mason County played well in it. Um, I mean, it's. I don't know if it's necessarily something I'm opposed to. Um, it really wasn't just my decision, though, either. I, I just kind of, you know, I just kind of asked, are we going to do this or not? Then I put a schedule together. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think I, mean, I, I think it's got a possibility of doing well. Um, I I know that they play the state the state part of it there in Owensboro, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's that that's quite a that's quite a haul for some teams. Um, I don't know. Maybe they do something where they they uh, maybe they combine some sections. I, I don't know. Um, but it just seemed to me like it was just – the other thing with it with us was, you know, one of the other teams in it was, was Harrison County. who's in our district. So, would that mean – how does that affect, like, a seeding? You know, does that game count towards – you know, and, it, and and that's not anything that I, like, know the answer – the answer to. Um, uh, you know, so, I mean, I'm not against it. I mean, it wasn't like it was – by no means that I sit here and you know say oh, I don't want to play in that. It just just didn't happen, and we just kind of went all about our about our business. Evan, anything else for Coach Ellsburn? No, I'm good. Thanks for coming on, man. Coach, I appreciate you. Appreciate you coming on with us a Sunday night. Uh, also, want to wish your team the best of luck. I know you got a big district game coming up with Harrison County, and um, that'll kind of 
also tell you where you're at in the district. And uh, But I just want to wish you and your guys the best of luck. I've got to see you play this year, and um, your guys play extremely hard. I know we've talked about that before, and you said you guys are going to be a tough out. And after what I've seen here recently, I agree. So just want to wish you the best of luck. I certainly appreciate that. And I, I, I told you this before, I appreciate what you're doing with this and trying to, you know, keep uh, people interested in high school basketball. In January, January is kind of like August for baseball, man. It's a, it can be the dog days, you know, when you're waiting for that, for that, uh, for that district regional tournament time to get here. So I appreciate it. And I, hopefully everybody across the region stays, you know, stays safe and stays healthy and we don't have any hiccups and, we're going to have some fun come late February, early March. Appreciate it. Thank you. Evan, I was mentioned to Coach Ellsworth a while ago that, you know, a lot of these district races are starting to take shape. And uh, one of those districts uh, is the 37th. And, um, you know, the 37th district this week, um, Scott and Brossard had a big game. Um, Scott got a big win there against Bishop Brossard, um, kind of making them and, uh, Calvary or Scott one and one while Calvary and Campbell are both one and oh, and that drops Brosser to oh and two. And we know that that district is, you know, kind of like a gauntlet, you know. Um, all four of those teams are good teams. All four of those teams have, you know, seen success here recently. And uh, that district starting to kind of, you know, people jockeying for position. Yeah. I, I think Friday night helped clear a little bit of the picture or it, really muddied it back up because, you know, uh, Rostert really could have had a chance to, to, to get up to, um, you know, one and one back even with, uh, you know, Cal well, actually Calvary's one and oh, they've only played one game. So they're, they're in second place regardless. But yeah, I mean, that Rostert Scott game, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, it, it could have been one that decides to, to three or four seed with how Calvary's playing this year. So I, I, Personally, still feel Campbell County is is far and far and beyond beyond the other three at this moment. But uh, you know, those other three are going to create a very tough first round district tournament game, and then that two three game is going to be a toss up because you look at Calvary and Scott. It was a you know what thirty eight thirty seven game. Well, look at the score between Brosser and Scott. Oh, it's just it's just crazy to me like how low scoring those games are. Thirty seven thirty six Calvary beat Scott. And then Brossert, you know, or then Scott beats Brossert, you know, 38-36. So it's just, I, you know, it, it, your guess is as good as mine on, on who that two seed is going to be. But I still think the Camels are going to be that one seed, and it makes you want to avoid that four seed. And right, and that's, you know, that's what's kind of, you know, Scott's really going to have – or, I mean, Brossert's really going to have to pick it up. You know, I think they got – I think they've played – Scott and Campbell. I think they still have Calvary to play. And because their district, you only play each other once. It's right. not like the 38th or the 40th where you play two times each to a home and home. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, Brosser beats Calvary, then you've got a really, you know, I think you got three teams one on one there. And that really becomes <laughs> real crucial coin flip or you know, I don't know how they do it. If it's you know a three-way tie, or I think it's RPI now. Well, it wasn't RPI last year. It wasn't. No, because we were all tied in our district, and we coin flipped, and we ended up getting the three. Remember? Okay. Yeah, you're right on that. So um, RPI decided it. Um, well, it does say that online because I looked it up because I had a vested interest last year, but right. I I think that was for another sport when we you know, asked about it. Um, Maybe altered things. I, I, I don't. Well, you know, that RPI don't mean a whole lot. It's kind of skewed anyhow. I'm not a big fan of the RPI, but. um, but the, had the upper hand if that was the case, because they're right. way above the other two right now. So. Well, and, um, you know, the 40th district, it's um, a little bit, you know, we know Clark probably will be the one seat in that district, but uh Montgomery and Bourbon are both one and one, and then Paris is 0-4. Paris has played everybody once, and they've played GRC twice. So it looks like those matchups are pretty well already set. You know, Clark and Paris in the first round, and then you got Montgomery-Bourbon, which I think is a very intriguing matchup. You know, both teams, I think, have struggled, you know, so far this season. But yet, I think both have potential, you know, to put together a little run there to where they make the regional tournament. 
Yeah, I mean, Montgomery, their schedule has just been brutal. I mean, Steve Wright did not do John Bentley any favors in that regard. I mean, they're playing, you know, the Trinity's out of Louisville. They, You know, obviously they play Clark in the district, but they're, they're also playing Boyd County, a solid 16th region team. Cal, another team out of Louisville. I mean, Belfry, a, to, a solid 15th region team. I mean, it's just – they just keep running the gauntlet of, of what their schedule is. And I think that's only going to get them better here, uh, you know, come when they do get into their district play. It looks like they've got two district games this week. They play Paris and Clark. And then they still have, uh, you know, two matchups with Bourbon County. And like you said, I, I think, you know, Clark and Paris are probably locked into that one, one and four matchup. And then, you know, Bourbon and Montgomery are going to be playing probably, you know, three times here over the next – you know, three, four weeks, which I think will make for a, a good matchup between the two. And I don't really think there's much separation there um, as far as far as how that goes. Do you know who hosts that district? Ooh, um, I can find out real quick for you. I want to say it's Paris this year, but I'm not 100% sure on that. So give me a sec. I was just curious because I thought that, you know, if maybe Montgomery or Bourbon hosts it, <laughs> could kind of be – you know, the little edge of one of those teams needed to kind of push them ahead because, you know, I think Bourbon and Montgomery are probably going to be two pretty equal teams. And I guess we'll find out here if they're going to play three times in the next three weeks. But, you know, something like a home court advantage or, you know, something like a home court there could really put one team over top of the other, you know, in a big district game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think – let's see. It looks like it's Paris. Let me make sure. If I stand corrected, I believe Clark hosted last year due to COVID and they kept the rotation in kind of like, you know, what they did with like the region tournament type deal. Um, so. Oh, never mind. Last year was at Paris. So this year's at Montgomery County. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Um, obviously they have the, remarkable facilities, but uh, that could ultimately be the deciding factor of, uh, you know, Montgomery and Bourbon County. Yeah, home court there. Uh, And that's, I think, you know, when we first talked, one of our first episodes or two where, you know, we we thought it was probably a little bit more top-heavy region this year, where, you know, one through four or five were above and beyond everyone else. But even rankings today, I think six through 12 for me, it was nearly impossible for me to rank those this, this week. So I think that helps create some really good first round district tournament matchups to where I think, you know, who the top dogs are in each district with, you know, Mason Clark, um, Campbell and Harrison, but any district two through four, almost any given night. I mean, it, it, it could go one way or the other. And I think that's going to create some great first round matchups of district tournaments. And I, that's a very good point. And, um, you know, then of course the 39th district, which we haven't mentioned yet because they do the random draw. So it doesn't really matter, um, you know, what the seating is there, but, you know, it'd be awful hard to seed that district because of course Mason and Bracken don't play, but I guess if they were to seed, they'd be forced to play. Um, but, um, you know, that district there, like you said, and uh, Mason County, I think, obviously, is the one right now. Um, I don't think Bracken County is far behind. Um, I think Bracken County is playing as well as anybody in the region is right now. I think they've won, what, seven or eight straight. They still haven't lost to a 10th region team yet. Um, but, you know, and don't get me wrong, Augusta just got Riley Mastin cleared. Um, he should be playing this coming week when they play. I think their first game back maybe is Wednesday at Robertson County. Um, but, uh, you know, Augusta's still a very talented team. I know they've not played well this year. They've had some tough losses. They've had some, you know, some tough breaks um, injury-wise and a few other things that kind of went on. But, uh, you know, they still have the talent that they, they can upset somebody in that district. They can still win that district. So, um, you know, once again, that puts, you know, a matchup of – you know, let's say if it holds chalk, Mason draws St. Pat, then Augusta and Bracken get another game in the district tournament, which would probably be another electric atmosphere. Yeah, and that'd be their fourth matchup this season because they still are scheduled to play on February 4th, which makes me wonder 
let's say they do end up drawing each other, does that February 4th game then get played? That's a good question. And I'd say, um, if I'm not mistaken, that February 4th game is supposed to be at Bratton County, right? Correct. I'd say hard-pressed uh, Bratton County to cancel that game with the money that that, that brings in the door. Um, that's that's one of those games that, you know, that the communities of both schools still, um, I guess, probably care more about than some of the athletes playing. And they're going to show up and support, you know, that. So that's a good gate, good concession for Bracken County. I think you posed a really good point. I think Augusta may try to maybe cancel that game. But I'm not so sure Bracken County will, you know, go through with it for the financial implications. Right. And I, I don't really want anybody to think I was trying to suggest or, you know, anything like that. But I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise. I just don't know if there's an advantage to playing teams four times in a season, especially the third game. That wouldn't really mean much other than, like you said, counting pride and, and things like that and bragging rights. Um but they've, you know, they've played twice already. And I think if Bracken, you know, if they make a run in the All-A this week, you know, play at least, you know, two, three games, which isn't out of the realm of possibility, they then have to look at kind of start trimming a game or two down because you can only play 30 during the regular season. They're already at 19 um, with at least, it looks like, one, two, three, four, five, six, nine more games scheduled uh, outside of the All-A. So they play three or four games at the All-A, three games. You know, let's say they get the Saturday semis, then they're going to have to look at cutting out a game or two um, to, to fit, you know, to stay underneath the 30-game threshold. Well, and with that, let's go ahead and let our listeners know that uh, Bracken County will be playing Walton Verona on January 27th at EKU. Um, I think that game time is 5 p.m. Eastern, so um, – I look for a Brighton County to take a pretty uh, pretty good crowd down there. They travel well when they're successful. So uh, just, um, you know, and that's a game that I've talked to a few people this week that they feel Brighton County has a really good, you know, chance of winning. And um, we saw Walton Vrone over Christmas break. We know that they're a solid team. But uh, the way Brighton County's playing right now, and um, that'll be a good first-round matchup. Maybe as good as first-round matchup as any – in the all-A state, but just want to let our listeners know that you can probably stream that game on prep spin, I would say, as well as, you know, there's probably a radio station you could find if you're interested, but that will be um, Thursday the 27th at 5 p.m. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Um, I'll be there. I love going to EKU. I think it's a really cool gym. Should be a fun atmosphere. Um, and, and Walton's a, a very good team that kind of plays a, a similar style, I would say, as Bracken. Maybe not as good on the defensive end, but offensive-wise, they've got some gunners, man. I mean, Brent Smithers can can straight fill it up, and uh, they got other guys, Carter Croman, um, and then uh, their lefty, Christian Collins, I believe his name is. So those three, they can put up 15, 20 a night, and um, – they like to play up tempo style and, and get after it. So I, I think it's going to be a uh, a very good um, matchup and, and one that I think can get to the 80s. Um, but the way Bracken's playing lately, man, I mean, they they've been locking down and, and holding teams in the in the 50s. So uh, it's going to be a wide open court, big court, college court. I think that plays in the favor of, of Blake and Caden Reed gives them more space to operate and facilitate and. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a fun game. <laughs> well, and um, I think you just made a very good point. Being the college floor, um, it does give those two guards way more space to operate. But, you know, I'm curious to see how, you know, Bracken County has pressed some here of late. I've noticed when I was watching, um, they've been run like a one two one one, maybe a diamond press or whatever. I'm curious to see how well that works against a, a team full of solid guards like Walton Verona on a on a college floor. You know that may that may you know have some advantage to Walton Verona just with the floor and the coverage that their defense has to, I guess, cover. But um, they're quick, they're aggressive, and I know Coach Reed will probably make adjustments as he goes. But um, 
Um, when he told me early on this year that that style of defense, he wanted to play it for 32 minutes. Um, one, I thought he was crazy. Two, I thought there's no way, you know, with only six or seven guys on your bench or, you know, two subs, six, seven guys on your roster that you can do that without getting tired or out getting in foul trouble. But for the most part, they've been successful in doing it. Yeah, just playing smart defense. Um, forcing a lot of turnovers, but doing it with their quickness and speed. And I think it was uh, – they cemented themselves as the number three team in the region um, these last couple weeks with beating Campbell, then winning the All-A, and then beating Harrison. So, it's to me, it's a no-brainer who the top three teams in the region are right now. And that starts with Clark, Mason, and then Bracken. And then I think you put Harrison fourth because of – their head-to-head win over Campbell and put Campbell fifth. And then, like I said, six through 12, the the door's open. You know, I don't think there's a clear-cut night where you can say this team's going to beat that team. So, um, should be fun, and I'm looking forward to all that. I, I enjoy that tournament. One thing that was um, – that made the news this week, and not necessarily just 10th region, but across the state of Kentucky, but it also affects the 10th, is the shot clock. You know, that came back up this week, and – um, as you know, one of my earlier podcasts, I talked to six coaches throughout the state about their feelings on a shot clock, and it was kind of split 3-3. And what I noticed was um, a lot of the smaller schools obviously weren't in favor of the shot clock because it gave, gave the larger, um, better teams maybe more possessions. And a lot of the larger schools were in favor of it so they could uh, – so teams couldn't uh, implement – you know, kind of the stall ball or kind of implement to where um, they run the offense for two or three minutes where they look for a shot or whatever. But, you know, there's a couple of things I want to talk about this. One thing I get tired of people saying, um, you know, being delivered on offense in basketball. Um, if that's in my offensive game plan and my scheme for my guys to be very patient on offense and deliberate on offense and, you know, keep working till I get a good shot, to me that is offense. And if you don't want the team to hold it, get out there and guard. Get out there and pressure. But, um, you know, what's your thoughts on it? I think I know from Twitter, but uh, a lot of our listeners may not be on Twitter about the shot clock. But, you know, there's already some bad possessions in high school basketball. And forcing a team to find a shot maybe in 30 seconds or whatever can make, you know, some worse basketball. And that's, I think, where the first question starts. What what limit do you put on that clock? Do you put it at 30? Do you put it at 45? Um, to me – if you were to do it, putting it at 45 would be a lot more reasonable than 30. But, Evan, if you put it at 45, how many teams hold the ball for 45 seconds now? Where I don't even think a shot clock's needed. So that, that, that makes my point even further. Right. That's what I'm saying. And then, I mean, let's say you do put it at 30. Then you're going to be creating a lot of situations where you're going to be seeing an offense breakdown, set doesn't work, coach yells rerun it or calls out a new set. Then you're looking up at that clock and you're at seven, eight seconds. Then you're creating that anxiety of a kid of who's 25 feet away from the basket who's gonna have to create something really quick. And sometimes if that's if that if that ball is not in your best hands of your playmakers, and let's be real, I mean, there's maybe one to two kids on any given team that can create their own shot consistently off the dribble with a good quality shot. Outside of that, you know, you got your guys that are role players that get in there, rebound, and maybe they're just not as skilled to score off the dribble. They need sets for themselves to score. Um, so you're going to create a lot of those scenarios, and that's going to create a lot more bad shots and a lot more bad offense. And, uh, you know, quite oftentimes, like you said, there's just not many possessions where it's taking that long. And then if it is, do, go out there and do something about it. Don't sit in the zone. Go out there and extend your zone at least or, you know, go man-to-man and, and switch things up. So, to me, that's just a lazy argument is, well, I don't want to see someone out there for two, three minutes holding the ball. I mean, the only time you see that is like viral videos when the other team's not doing anything about it. So, go out and do something about it. Go guard them. And, and then, nope. I mean, don't even get me started on, you know, the, the operation of it, uh, the cost of it. And I mean, the installation of it, I mean, you're, that, that thing's not cheap. I'm sure that's at least a five to $10,000 project. And the people that are making that comment don't work out a school system to know how hard it is. We struggle to find clock workers, bookkeepers to, that can do an adequate job to where the referee doesn't have to report to the table every minute or two 
about time running off the clock or whatever. Oh, they forgot to start the clock. It, it would def- definitely be a headache for a lot of schools. And it be, wouldn't be financially feasible for a lot of us smaller schools to implement a shot clock or to, you know, put it in and then find somebody to run it. And, but the, you know, you mentioned a lazy argument. The one thing that I hate is, um, and I saw it on Twitter a couple of times from a couple of different people. Um, a couple of people said uh, they don't want a shot clock because coaches would now have to coach. Um, people that say that have never stood on the sidelines and coached a basketball game because I promise you the coaches I know in the 10th region, the coaches I know across the state, whether it's a shot clock or not, they're busting their butts every day in practice and every game night coaching those kids, putting them in the best positions to be successful. And um, just for those people to say that, you know, coaches will now have to coach. That's just something that gets underneath my skin because, you know, they're doing that anyhow. They're coaching anyhow. You know, a shot clock isn't going to force somebody to have to coach. It's a ridiculous comment. And then, I mean, I think also, I mean, I think AAU is great. I I think it's good for your top five to ten percenters uh, around the country. Um, Outside of that, a lot of times it's a money grab. And I'll be dead honest about how AAU works because, I mean, heck, I played AAU basketball when I was in high school too. It costs money unless you're one of those elite players where you're getting sponsorships and things added. But their, their argument is it doesn't get you ready for the next level if you don't have a shot clock. But how many how many kids in high school are going to the next level? Two to three percent? Well, it's probably lower than that. So why, why are we going to completely alter a game for, you know, maybe 50 to 100 kids across the state that are going to play at the next level? So. You're right, and I agree totally 100% with everything you just said. And, and then, uh, I mean, another thing, just piggybacking or adding on to it is just the, the official standpoint, too. It's already tough on them, I mean, to, to, to call a game with how fast-paced things are going and whatnot. Then you're going to add that element into their head, too, on a shot clock and what hits the rim, what might not hit the rim. Did it restart on time? I mean, th- that's just another thing where they're not trained just yet. To, to have that in their mindset and, you know, maybe they can catch on quick. Maybe a lot of them can, but just you're adding another thing to what already makes a, a difficult job. Man, I couldn't have said it any better. And that's just, but you know, it's one of those things that comes up every year. Um, but I think I saw percentages somewhere and I can't think of, I can't, I think it was Jason Mays who is the Ashland uh, head coach. I think he, you know, I don't know if, you know, a group of coaches put something together if the KHSAA did. But I think when they ask coaches, I think like 56% of the coaches in the state were not in favor or 54 or something. It was more than a majority. It's getting closer and closer, though. I mean, I think a few years back they held it and it wasn't really that close. And now it's it seems like the shot clock is gaining traction. One one thing I'd like to, to see and propose and maybe give a trial run is let's say these Christmas tournaments or something like that. Maybe experiment with it then if you have – the shot clock for it. I mean, I, I guarantee there's not many high school gyms in the state that have a shot clock, but maybe if you have a, a Christmas tournament at a university or something and you can experiment with it, give it a try. Um, but I, I just, I think it's, I think it would end up hurting the game more than it would helping it. Uh, with that being said, I uh, want to congratulate Tanner Walton, GRC. He committed to the University of the Cumberlands. Uh, this weekend. So, uh, you know, I got to see Tanner play a lot this summer, AU, and he's just a remarkable kid with a high basketball IQ that can, you know, score from the perimeter. He just does a lot of little things for his teams to win. He rebounds well. He shoots well. Just a great high school basketball player. So, congratulations to to Tanner. Um, this week, you, te- you texted me something. You know, I don't know what game you were at. Not 100% sure, but we've been doing things overheard in 10th region gyms. And the one thing you overheard this week, and I'm not going to lie, it kind of made me laugh. And I was drinking tea and I spit out a little bit. But um, you heard someone holler at a referee, better get a second job somewhere. <laughs> the reason I laughed was, do the people in the crowd think this is their primary job? These guys are making $85 a night to do a varsity game. Uh, or do, do people think this is their only job? And, and people might be like, oh, $85 for one game, that's only an hour and a half. That's good money. But you also got to factor travel distance, 
and, and having to put up with that. So it's it's probably a four to five hour night by the time they leave their house or workplace or whatever, get to their destination, wrap up the game, and then go home. So it's time like away it's, from time away from family at that, and yeah, it's not like you know, making forty bucks an hour in, in two hours and they having a light night. You know, that reminds me of the time somebody told me I coached for the money. <laughs> I had to remind them I make about a quarter an hour after you know factor in everything, but um. No, but I thought that was funny because I'd say these people probably do believe that, you know, this is their only job. You know, you know, I get SEC officials, NBA officials. It probably is their only job, but they're making a lot more than $85 a night. So anything else you want to – I sent in my rankings this week. Let's close on rankings this week. I know uh, last year or last week we kind of forgot to put them in. Then I think we kind of rushed them at the end. So, yeah, let me pull mine up here. I do got one shout out that stuck up. I know there weren't really a lot of games um, Wednesday, Thursday due to the weather, but Friday night was a pretty full slate. And uh, Campbell County's Aiden Hamilton dropped 42 points that night. So, who'd they beat? Uh, Holmes. Holmes. Yeah. Aiden Hamilton, it's hard for me to believe as good as basketball player as he is that he's going to be playing baseball at Kentucky. So, hats off to Aiden just for being a remarkable athlete. Yeah, I mean, just something else. And then, obviously, the 40-point club rolls on with with Justin Becker. Yesterday, he had a 47-15 and 15 against Berea in a win. And uh, I've been tracking him, and he's, I think, about 240 points away now from, from 3,000. So, um. You know, and plus he's he's I think he's sixty rebounds away from eleven hundred. Um, but the thing is too, and I know just because I'm you know I'm there every day, but um, they're having trouble finding teams that'll schedule them, and they've lost games because of COVID. They've had um, you know they struggled yesterday to find a team. Buckhorn calls at eleven, you know eleven a.m. says they're not coming. Wow, uh, and that was for Friday night. I'm sorry, Friday night, mm-hmm. and. You know, just to try to – no, Friday night they played Harrison. It was Saturday night um, just to try to find a team to replace them. And, you know, you offer traveling stipends and everything under the sun to try to get a team to come. And thankful Berea was off and was willing to make that drive so they didn't lose another game. But a lot of, you know, if he gets 3,000, may depend on if they get enough games in. Yeah, it looks like they've got – I believe it's 10 regular season games scheduled. Um, so – as long as he hits his average uh, of where he's at, I think he's at about 36 or 37 a night. I haven't looked exactly on the average, but, um, you know, they they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, 10 games left, and they would be allowed to play uh, at least 13 more because they had three COVID cancellations, which the KHSAA has already said you can play on top of your COVID cancellations, despite it counting as a win or a loss, which to me is kind of silly. I mean, every team, it seems like that has been experiencing it. And then it's like, there's like a handshake agreement. It seems with some teams to where, Oh no, we don't want it to count as a loss. We'll just have a mutual agreement to where it just was canceled. And I've seen that on numerous teams and accounts. And I've heard literally a coach say that to another coach. I won't say any names, but to me, it makes you wonder like, is that win really that important, you know, or is that law? Like it, it just kind of is weird to me how that's working. Because Robertson, perfect case for them. They're, I mean, their record says nine and 10 on KHSAA, but they're really nine and seven because they had to count three losses as COVID. So how do you figure that out? Um, and the thing is though, if I'm not mistaken, and of course, you know, this is why I think um, that the uh, RPI screw you. I think those three losses count against their RPI. Yeah. And if you look at those three games, I know two of them were very winnable. I can't remember who the third one was, but I know Shawnee and uh, was it Walden? Yeah, it was uh, Shawnee, St. Francis. St. Francis. And, uh, and Ryle. So uh, two of those threes, I'm not going to say, you know, that all three aren't winnable, but two of the three were definitely winnable. And so it, mm-hmm. it kind of, negatively affects your RPI, which is why I said earlier that, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the RPI system. 
Right. So that, I could be wrong on the RPI, RPI being the tiebreaker, but from what I understood and from what most sports do is the well, RPI is that tiebreaker. And here's I what I know. Good. You know, last year when I was coaching and it was us, Pendleton, and Harrison all finished, you know, we had a three-way tie. Um, you know, I went looking and I said that, you know, let's not worry about it because we have the higher RPI of the three and the higher RPI is going to be the one. Then, you know, the other two would be the two, three. But come to find out, Brad Allison, we had talked to, and I think Brad started doing some research, and Brad said something like um, that was for football. It didn't apply to basketball or something of that nature. Um, so we, I think all the ADs met somewhere, and they, you know, flipped a coin, and we happened to get to three seed, which, you know, it worked out fine for us. And not saying that, but um, that's why, why even have the RPI there? Why even have it show up if it serves no purpose? Yeah, I mean, it, it's confusing. Um, hopefully that's not the deciding factor of what one seed is compared to another. Um, but my rankings, uh, here we go. Uh, like I said, top top five to me are no-brainer. GRC one, Mason County two, Bracken County three, Harrison County four, Campbell County five. If you have an argument with that, then I don't know what your problem is. Um, that's my first five as well. Six through 12 for me were, were torture today because I, I didn't really didn't know where to go. But I stuck with Calvary at six. Uh, I went Augusta seven. Uh, I know they didn't play a game this last week and they might be struggling a little bit, but the Raleigh Maston news alone, when they had him at full strength at the beginning of the season, I thought they were one of the top five teams, top six teams in the region. So I'm going to put them at seven. Uh, I've got Scott at eight off their win over Brossard. Um, I got Brossard at nine. Montgomery at 10, Robertson 11, Bourbon 12, and then Pendleton 13, Paris 14, Nicholas 15, and St. Pat 16. So, you know, one through five for me were easy. Um, I, I think 13 and six, 13 through 16 is pretty set, but six through 12 is, is, is very tough to, to factor. And I, I think a lot of those teams, you could maybe flip flop certain areas. Well, and I'm, you know, our one through five is the same. Actually, our one through Eight is the same. Um, I moved Scott to eight after they beat Brossard. But I actually dropped Brossard to ten. Um, I moved Robertson up to ninth. Um, I still, you know, you know, I, I am a little biased, but I also feel like Robertson County's exceeded some expectations this year. I really felt like last year, you know, losing all that to graduation, you know, Robertson having to play a lot of guys who have never you know, played one minute of varsity basketball. Granted, I know they have Justin Becker, but Justin Becker alone can keep you in games. I'm not so sure Justin Becker alone can win you a lot of games against good competition. But um, I just, you know, I feel like they've exceeded expectations. So I put them at nine and Brossard at 10. I put Montgomery 11. I moved Pendleton to 12. I thought their win against uh, – Nicholas County was a very good district win. And also the way they played Bath and Mason has showed me that they're playing a lot better basketball right now. I've got Bourbon at um, th 13 just because I honestly don't know anything about them. I've not seen them play yet. Um, I know Coach Campbell was very high on them at the beginning of the year. Um, but, you know, they're just not playing very good basketball right now. So I moved them down to 13. Then I have Nicholas 14, Paris 15, and St. Pat's 16. Um, I still feel like Nicholas County um, has the pieces to be a decent team. You know, they've kind of fallen behind in district play now to where they're looking at the four. I know they've had success against Harrison County, you know, in the past, but I think that's a bad matchup for them this year. Um, of course, I think Paris, Paris may have already beat Nicholas. Have they already beat Nicholas? Did Paris beat Nichols yet, or have they? Okay. Yes. Probably maybe should have Paris ahead of Nicholas there. Um, but, you know, once again, that's for the 14th, 15th spot. And, you know, then again, St. Pat at 16. But for the most part, ours are pretty close. Yeah, and I, I think this week will help, again, maybe clarify some things because now we're going to be getting into a lot of district matchups um, over the next couple weeks to – Determined seating, um, you know, just it, it starts tomorrow, you know, Paris, Montgomery County tomorrow. And then um, Tuesday looks like uh, we've got a few in-region matchups, which I think will be some good ones. Um, you've got Augusta at Campbell County. 
that would be a good game. And then you've got uh, Montgomery at Mason, and then St. Pat at Harrison, and then on uh, Wednesday you got Augusta at Robertson. Be curious to see if Robertson's maybe turned the corner a little bit because uh, Augusta I thought handled them pretty easily the first time around. And then come Thursday is a real big one, Scott, at Campbell County. You know, a big rivalry game there in the 37th. And I think one that will uh, definitely kind of help maybe clear a little bit more of the picture there uh, in that district race where if Campbell wins, they're pretty much the leg up for the number one seed. And then, um, you know, come Friday, looks like there's quite a few. You got, you know, Harrison Pendleton. Harrison, I think, you know, is, is definitely the class of that district and can continue to prove so on that night. And then uh, Montgomery at Clark and uh, Robertson at Nicholas, which will be another big uh, contest there in the 38th. And if Robertson can win that, they can almost get close to sealing the number two seed. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully these games, you know, here will help, you know, shed some light or kind of bring some clarity to, you know, where these teams are, you know, in the 10th region, because like you said, I still feel like there's a lot of parity. Number 12 could probably beat number six on any given night. Um, but um, it's just, you know, that's the one thing I think kind of makes the 10th region special. One reason why I enjoy it, because I think on most nights, any team can win, you know, these, these matchups throughout the week. And um, I think, you know, I really thought Mason County might be a little closer to Clark at this point in time of the year, but actually I think Clark has separated themselves. And I think, you know, I think there's one team in the region that I think everybody else is kind of fighting for runner up. And I could be wrong in saying that. I don't like, not like I'm doubting Brian Kirk because I'm not. I just feel like Clark County right now is just heads and shoulders above everybody else. Agree. It feels to me like Mason County is a 16 and four under the radar. Like if that makes sense. I mean, yeah, they've been ranked number two pretty much all season, maybe number three by some, but you look at every game that they've lost, they've been in, it's been a one possession game in the final two minutes, um, whether it be Pikeville, Betsy Lane, Collins or Lex Kath at the two way, they're right there in all 20 of their games. Um, still a really good team. Uh, they're, 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 they're getting things, I think, figured out more with their rotation. Uh, Braylon Hamilton, I think, is really becoming an asset for them off the bench. Mason Butler's been finding his stroke. So I, I, I think they're a little bit more dangerous than what people think. Um, and, and on a really good shooting night, I think would have a chance to, to pull an upset of Clark. But on a really bad shooting night, they, again, they, they could, you know, have a uh, – tough night with maybe a, a six or a seven seed in the, in the region. So I may be wrong for saying this and maybe coach Kirk listens and uses this as bulletin board material. Um, but the only way Mason County can beat Clark County is if the 37 district decides to host it at the field house in the next couple of weeks. And Mason County has a really good shooting night. I think the 37th hosting that at homes being a neutral site doesn't do Mason County any favors. Right. Well, I mean, that's a good point. It, it is. And, uh, you know, to play devil's advocate, Mason hasn't won a region title at the Fieldhouse since 2010 for for what that's worth. I mean, obviously. But you're right. I mean, Clark, 17-1. and one, I mean, they're beating teams and scoring, like, close to 100 every single night. I mean, they beat a good Brian – they beat a decent Brian Station team who I got to see at the MCIT by 30 on, on Saturday. So – they're just a machine, man. And yeah. It's going to take a good night from some team and maybe a little bit of luck and maybe a bad night. You know, in GRC, you know, the, a bad night, they still may be capable of winning. Who knows? But because not only have they a good record and a lot of talent, but they've played a tough schedule. You know, they've played some tough teams. But, um, you know, we, you talked about a couple of weeks ago how you were kind of iffy about ranking GRC number one in the state, but you were going to do it anyhow. Well, you don't have to feel that way now because Mel beat Cuff-Cath, you know, last night. And because I know Cuff-Cath, you were kind of thinking maybe then you decided against Clark. Well, I think you made the right decision. I think they're truly the best team in the state right now. Yeah, I think that bumps Mel to number two because they've got a win over Ballard and Cuff-Cath over the last week and a half. So, 
Well, you have L commit and Caleb Glenn, who's just a man amongst boys. Dude's like six six and just chiseled. Like I don't know how you guard him in the paint. You don't. Well, they also have a point guard in Jack Edelin, who have played a lot with Justin Becker, and I've seen him grow over the years. Huh? He came over from Ballard, actually. Yeah, Ballard Mel, and but he's just a solid, solid point guard, and um, you know they've got probably one of the best coaches in the state, and Tim Hayworth, and um, you know I talked to him; he was one of the coaches on the Shot Clock podcast, and he said it back then. Yeah, I feel like we're a top three team in the state. Well, I think <laughs> they modified that. So um, those two to play each other, um, but it doesn't look like that's on the schedule. Um, to me, I don't know if Clark loses another game. There's not one in here to me. I think Greg Cawson gives him a game. Uh, outside what do of you, that. What, what do you mean by give him a game? 15-20? Right. Yeah, because I've seen Greg Crossing play. Um, they definitely have size. They got two 6'10 guys or maybe a seven-footer in Marino. They got a real nice guard in Vince Dawson. Who I like a lot with he's got a nice mid-range jumper, but I just don't know for four quarters if they've got, you know, the horses to play with GRC and you know I say that because their last six games, GRC, they've won by 68, 24, 48, 48, 49, and 29. So that's why I think Great Crossing looks like John Harden's on there, but I don't know if they're as strong as they've been in prior years. I think Knox Central is probably the team that gives them the biggest challenge the, the rest of the season. And by and by yeah. those standards, I'm not gonna lie. By those standards, Great Crossing can probably give them a game because I don't I don't see Clark beating them 48 or 49. But no. yeah, so they could very I, well go into this to, to this you know end of the season at 29 and one or however many games allow. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. They have 12 games left, so 29 and one, and then you win two in district, 31 and one. And then if they can get through the region tourney, 36 and one, 35 yeah. and one. Yeah. 35 and one. So, well, I, here's one, my, here's my message to Coach Cook stay hot. <laughs> you got that right, man. <laughs> well, man, yeah. uh, Another good week. I'm excited this week here. I'm actually – I think I'm actually finally get out to go watch some games. Uh, you know, finally feeling good. Finally COVID in my rearview mirror. So, I can't wait to get out to a few, you know, gyms and watch some good basketball. I've missed it, not going to lie. I can't believe you said week eight when we first started this thing. It's crazy how fast this season's going along. And four weeks from tomorrow, boom, district tournament starts. So, we're, we're getting there. And I think as Coach Ellsburn said, you know, we're – Kind of in those dog days, though. You know, you got to get through these next few weeks. It's going to be freezing cold. You got to get on a bus. It might snow today. Your kids might not be in school, so you got to find extra ways to motivate them. They're sitting around playing PlayStation all day. So it's a tough time for a coach, man. I don't I don't envy those guys, you know, because let's say you got two or three road games and it's it's 14 degrees outside when you're leaving that gym. That bus doesn't warm up quick, so – I mean, and I'll be honest with you, I don't envy those guys either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, I appreciate it. Once again, another good week. Uh, we'll be back next Sunday with week nine, and hopefully we have some more good information to provide. But as always, stay tuned and stay hot.